Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the program, we're going to talk with NPR's Melissa Block, who is in town taking a look at what makes communities here in southeast Michigan stand out from the rest of the country. She has been traveling the country lately doing stories about different communities in the United States, what makes them distinct, what makes them special. She'll join us in the studio to talk about that series and to talk about what she's learning right here in southeast Michigan. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. But first, Democrats across the country took a beating last November. Now Republicans control every branch of the federal government. How does the party recover after Donald Trump's stunning victory over Hillary Clinton in 2016. Can Democrats turn a vigorous and active opposition movement and make it into a lasting political coalition? WDET producer Jake Neer recently spoke with former Democratic National Committee Chair Howard Dean during a visit to Michigan. Here's that conversation. In your estimation, in your analysis, what happened in 2016, especially in states like Michigan that many people viewed as reliably blue, but then went red? Uh, You know, this is a pattern that's going on all over the country and all over the world. Uh, I think the profile of the Brexit voter in Europe was exactly the same as the profile of of people who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, Immigration, you you know, there's a lot of sort of nativism. And a lot of it was economically being left behind by globalization. And there was a, there's been a lot of that in Michigan. Trade has generally been very good for this country, and it's actually been pretty good for Michigan, but it hasn't been so good for people who are working in the manufacturing industry. Now, the truth is, it's actually not the trade. Both parties are complicit in saying a lot of things about trade that aren't true. The real problem is automation. Our manufacturing sector is 87% larger than it was in 1987. The number of people working in the manufacturing uh, section is uh, 33% less. And people blame that on trade, but it's not about trade. Uh, I think people did not, in in places like Michigan and Iowa, did not want an establishment candidate. Uh, And they wanted somebody who they thought was going to shake things up. And they voted for Donald Trump, enough of them, so that he uh, won uh, in in an electoral college vote. What can the Democratic Party do about that is 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 this was this a failure in messaging was this a failure in organizing uh or was it beyond what uh the democratic party and its organizers could have uh anticipated or or done to prevent this uh to prevent losing to donald trump well my favorite inter- uh, instrument both in politics and medicine is the retrospectoscope which is always 100 percent accurate so it's easy to criticize after the fact The truth is uh, we didn't really have that much of a message other than Donald Trump is awful, uh, which is really not a very effective uh, message. Um, Look, I think people took a big chance. I think Trump, from early indications, is going to do absolutely nothing for the people who voted for him. Uh, He'll do plenty for the gazillionaires who gave him all that money and who are now in his cabinet, but he's not going to do anything for the working people who voted for him and put him into office because he's not temperamentally inclined to do that and it's because he put together a cabinet that has no interest in that whatsoever. So you're going to see the stock market go up and people on Wall Street make a lot of money. And I think you're still going to see a lot of trouble in the industrial sector. So on that, um, uh, on what you said about how the Democratic Party had no message, it was just that Donald Trump was bad. Looking forward now, uh, Democrats see themselves or are, are now in this position of being the opposition, of being in a position to be an opposition uh, party or even movement right now. Um, 
what does that what does that mean for the party uh, in the next four years? And is that uh, the right way to focus on things, or is this uh, do do Democrats quickly need to decide what they're for as opposed to just what they're against? All of the above. Um, we. Uh, first of all, there's inside the Beltway and then there's outside the Beltway. Inside the Beltway is basically middle school on steroids. Um, outside the Beltway is where the real focus has to be. The 50-state strategy, which I think the Democratic National Committee will put in. But then there's something else that has to be done that I call the 50-year strategy. The truth is um, Trump's victory was essentially a repudiation of all the values of Americans who were under 35 in this country. They were horrified. They were weeping. They were, you know, you can make fun of them if you want to. But all the principles of openness, of fairness, of diversity, of respect for others uh, were thrown out the window by Trump's win. So this is a group that's going to vote with us, voted with us for three times, twice for Obama and once for Hillary. They didn't turn out, though, very much for Hillary. Uh, and they don't turn out for down-ballot races, and they don't turn out for off-year races. The key is going to be to go talk to this generation, which I call the first global generation. Globalism, for all that, you know, the crazy stuff you hear, what's his name in the White House there, uh, the senior advisor is a Breitbart guy. The Steve Bannon. Yeah, Bannon, right. So the truth is globalization is already done. It's happening. You can't undo it. They'll try, but it's not going to happen. Why is it not going to happen? Because our kids see themselves as citizens of the world, not just as citizens of, of this country. And that's the same with teenagers almost all over the, and teenagers and young people all over the world. So uh, we have to figure out how to make this work for people who got left behind. And I'd like to change the tax code just like Trump would, except instead of changing the tax code and giving billionaires more money on Wall Street, I'd like to change the tax code so, so you can get really rich in this country by building affordable housing uh, and by building roads. There's no, you know, people in this country like to get rich. This is a capitalist society. But if we're going to do those things and give people tax breaks, we ought to give people tax breaks uh, to when they do something that helps the rest of the country and creating jobs in places like Michigan and West Virginia and Kentucky. Um, and I don't see any interest in that. That's what the Democrats have to do when we get back in power, and we will get back in power. How soon, I can't tell you, but we will. Um, I, I, there, was a, there was a recent uh, interview on NPR with uh, one of the early organizers of the Tea Party movement, and what he was saying, he was sort of comparing, uh, I, I would imagine this would give you a little heartburn, comparing the Democrats now to the Tea Party when it started, just on a political organizing uh, uh, level, saying that it was easy at the beginning that uh, getting people fired up when you were basically just acting as opposition was easy. But once uh, you started, once the Tea Party started really defining what it was for, what policies it wanted to pursue, that sort of thing, that's when things started fracturing. That's when people started leaving the coalition. Um, is that a concern of yours? Is, and is that something that the Democrats should learn from? Not a concern of mine at all. And the reason for that is I think we need to take a completely different approach to politics and that it's not going to happen inside the Beltway and it's not going to happen in the DNC. I think Tom Perez is a good guy, uh, but, you know, he's the creature of the establishment. Uh, what's really going to happen is we need to find a way, and I think we're going to do this, uh, that turns the organizations over to people who are under 35 years old. Uh, we know a lot about politics in my generation. We ought to get the hell out of the way and stop running for office and let them take over. I would have liked to see somebody run for president who was under 50 years old. 
um, because this, that's what this country is about. And I think we've been in the pipeline too long. We've done some great things in my generation. Now it's time to get out. Uh, these kids are doing unbelievable things, and they're doing them outside government. There are foreign aid programs that they have started that are far more effective than anything the United States government does. We should empower that, and we need to empower this generation. Um, I, I wanted to quickly uh, talk a little bit about Tom Perez with the uh, the, the new DNC chairman. Um, for one thing, what is your analysis of how that uh, went down? What is your reaction to the uh, the, the process of, of uh, selecting him as chair? And, and what are your hopes for uh, what the party will look like under Tom Perez? Well, I was for Pete Buttigieg, who's the mayor of South Bend, who's 35 years old. That's the direction that the DNC needs to go in. I think Tom is a very good guy. He won principally because Barack Obama and Joe Biden wanted him to win. Um, that's the old politics, not the new politics. It's amazing how fast this has all changed from, from these kids who elected Barack Obama president of the United States eight years ago into how different politics is now. I don't think people fundamentally understand Internet politics. Actually, the Republicans understand it better than we do, but they just don't have many young people that are for them because of their views on on this generation in, in terms of, you know, our, this young generation is pro-immigrant, uh, they're pro-choice, they're pro-women's rights, they're pro-gay rights. They're, this is not the Republican Party, and there's no attraction to the Republican Party except economically. So when they stop talking about beating up on all these folks' friends, uh, they'll get some of these votes, but they're not going to get that. It's not going to happen if the Republicans lose a lot, and I think they will, uh, and that's my job is to make sure they do. All right. Coming up, we'll continue our conversation about the future of the Democratic Party. We're going to talk with two Michigan Democrats about what the future should look like. And we're going to want to hear from you. What do you think the Democratic Party should do to reignite the interest of voters? 313-577-1019. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We just heard former chair of the Democratic National Committee, Howard Dean, talking about the direction he hopes the party will take in the coming years. That's now that Democrats find themselves without control of any branch of the national government. Here in Michigan, that's positions Democrats have been in since 2011 when Governor Rick Snyder became governor. We'd like to continue this conversation about where Democrats go from here with two Michigan Democrats with some experience in state government. Uh, David Knizek is Democratic state senator from Dearborn Heights, and Maxine Berman is a former Democratic state representative. Both of you, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, so uh, let's talk first about what we heard Howard Dean say there uh, in the interview with Jake Neer. Uh, what is the future path that the party needs to take. Let's start here in Michigan uh, and then talk about the national uh, the national picture. Uh, but but I think there is this tension between the idea that if you double down on uh, the energized far left, which is more energized now than I think I've seen it in a decade, uh, do you alienate these uh, people who sit sort of in the middle and, and go back and forth uh, between the parties? Or do you try to move toward the middle and bring the far left along 
uh, with you. I mean, I, I think both parties face this kind of uh, this kind of dilemma from time to time. We've seen parties in the past try both ways and and sometimes be successful, sometimes experience failure. But what's the right uh, what's the right move at this point, Maxine? I'm going to start with you. Well, you know, first of all, if you go back every four years after every presidential election, particularly after a party has lost two in a row. You will see the exact same articles, and you can just interchange the word Democrat and Republican. Right. There's always a panic. The Republican Party is dead. Yes. We, you know, four years ago, <laughs> they were doing what we called autopsies, mm-hmm. and now the Democratic Party is dead, which does not mean that there is not work to do in the Democratic Party. Uh, but all, all I'm saying is, is it's not over. And, uh, uh, you know, I think... Uh, uh, I would like to see more young people in. Uh, I mean, David is younger than me, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> but you know, who isn't younger than me? Right. Um, uh, but I think that that uh, this notion that the quote unquote establishment Democrats, which I guess I am, uh, are awful people, <laughs> and you know, we're the ones who brought all these you know good things to begin with. Uh, you know, we're, we're the ones who who won the Roe vote, <laughs> were the ones who fought long ago for gay rights. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, we're the ones who brought Medicare. I mean, you, I mean, I can go back long before I started. Sure. So, so uh, I, you know, I think that sometimes that the uh, chasm between the two is really nowhere near as great as it seems, as it, as it, as it really is. It yeah. may seem big. So. Yeah. At the same time, this is a party that while... Barack Obama was racking up huge wins as president, was seeing huge losses in not just Congress, but I mean, you talk about state legislatures across the, the country, you talk about governorships across the country. I mean, there is something that, that goes beyond this election, this most recent election in 2016, that has seen voters turning away from the Democratic Party. You know, the first thing that I would say is that I take comfort in the fact that when I look at the last national election, you know, Democrats won by more than three million votes. And so I would reject the notion, I think, of some that we need to blow this whole thing up and, and start from scratch, right? Now, like Maxine said, there's definitely work that needs to be done. And I think that we need to get back to that message uh, that, frankly, I think that we've gotten away from for the last you know couple of years, talking about working families and talking about the economics, talking about those pocketbook issues. I think that we can be a party of economic populism while at the same time be a party of social justice and, and human rights. And so, you know, the, the differences that we're seeing at the national level versus some at the state level too, I think this really speaks to our inability to make sure that the message uh, is tailored for the folks that it's going to. You know, a, a de- Democrat uh, in Detroit is different from a Democrat in the Upper Peninsula, the same way a Michigan Democrat is different from a West Virginia Democrat. And we can't talk about being the big tent party without, I think, accepting the nuance that exists w- within our own party and across the entire country. Yeah. Uh, we, we also heard Howard Dean talk about youth and the energy surrounding uh, youth and youth, young candidates. Uh, he, he said that he was supporting, he liked the idea of Pete Buttigieg as, as National Democratic chair, that he wanted to see someone run for president who is under 50. Is that is that part of the problem here, Maxine? Well, you know, uh, as someone who's not under 50. <laughs> You're not under right, 50. Right. <laughs> but it's okay. You know, I mean, Obama was under 50, you know, and, and I was crazy about him. Um, and so, so I, you know, I, first of all, I think that you 
every organization, whether it's political or not, always needs new blood. And you have to do everything you can, you know, without violating the principles of the group to bring those people in. I mean, I mean, there should always be new people. And there are a lot of organizations out there, Emerge, for example, which is is training women to run for all different kind of offices, Democratic women. And most of them are quite young. And there's been this flood of people who suddenly want to run for office. And that's great. All right. They're new people. That's wonderful. Um, uh, you know, by the same token, uh, look, if a train's coming toward you, you got three choices. You know, uh, you can uh, get out of the train's way, or you can jump on the train, or you can let the train run you over. You know, and that's <laughs> elections, okay? And there have been times in my life or when I served in the legislature, you know, quite frankly, I did let the train run me over because it was so important, you know, that I couldn't do anything else. But most of the time I just jumped on the train, all right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and and uh, um, so there has to be some kind, and it isn't easy, uh, you know, some kind of, I don't even call it a compromise, a meeting of minds, maybe, uh, to talk about, you know, the critical importance of ideology, but the total inability to put that ideology into effect if yeah. you do not win. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a lot of criticism, <laughs> I, should, I, I guess I would describe it of the Democratic Party over a long period of time for its turn away from uh, the concerns of uh, working class voters. Uh, and and I, I just read another piece over the weekend that that sort of reminded of this tr this trend that starts, I don't know, in the 70s and 80s away from sort of tilting against the uh, the 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 growth of corporate profits at the expense of incomes uh, that uh, uh, the Democrats have not articulated enough of a pushback against that. Um, you, you talk about not just stagnant wages, but but uh, tenuous holds on employment. Uh, the, the 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 kinds of things that people are really worried about. And, Right here in in Southeast Michigan, you talk about the kind of concerns that people have in places like Macomb County, that Democrats have lost hold on the issues that those people are most concerned about. What, what, what's the answer to that? Is that a valid criticism of the party? And if it is, how do you how do you send it in another direction? I, I think it's a very valid criticism. I think that we would be unwise to not you know, sort of take that in stride and reassess how you know, we can better move forward. I've, I've said in the past that, you know, when I came into party politics and, and got elected at the age of 25, uh, I was told a lot of what, you know, we think. And I was told a lot of how we feel. And I think that sometimes we as Democrats have, you know, this, this notion of lecturing other people about why we're right. And, you know, we think that we are right. And, and I think on nine out of 10 things, we probably are right. But uh, the notion that we're going to try and convince somebody by lecturing them or telling them how to think or how to feel, uh, I think is very different from taking a listen approach. Uh, and I think that we've gotten away from that. And then at the same time, you know, even if you do correct ship on what the message is, how you get that message out to voters still matters. And I think that's where you know, the notion of us getting back to the basics and back to the roots of you know, not just communicating with folks when we're up for election, but consistently, every week, or every every week, every month, every year, whatever it may be, uh, to let them know where we stand on the issues, how we're driving those issues forward, and frankly, uh, 
why the people who are currently in power across our state and across our country are not true to the values that they are espousing uh, on a, a weekly basis. I tell people all the time, you know, Garden City within my district is my bellwether. It's sort of a Southern Democrat. Yeah. You know, they, they give me an idea of where the nation is going to go. Uh, and, you know, you can't use the same type of approach or tactics, this one-size-fits-all model across the entire state. That guarantees that we lose. Uh, I would much rather, as Maxine said, have a conversation with all of these different factions within the party. I think the factions within the party evidently or eventually make us a stronger party. Uh, but have a conversation with them about how we get that message out and how we win. Because if we don't win, we have no ability to push forward any of that agenda. I would much rather be having a conversation today about how we can push President Clinton farther to the left or more progressive on issues than talking about how President Trump is cutting 97% of the funding for Great Lakes Water. Sure, you know sure. Th- these are the two options that we have. Well, I'd like to win. You know, and I, I you know, and, and David brought up a very good point uh, because uh, you were talking about uh, you know Michigan Democrats aren't the same as West Virginia Democrats and so on and so forth. Well, Macomb County Democrats are not the same as Oakland County Democrats or Wayne County Democrats. Right? You know, there's a there's a big difference between these people. Uh, you know, I mean, there's that old, you know, Will Rogers, uh, uh, you know, I don't belong to an organized political party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> uh, and, and, and and that's what we are. We have always been a party of often disparate groups uh, who come together for common good. And that common good, frankly, has always been the, the well-being of the middle class worker. Right. I mean, that's that's but do you always think that been middle the, class, the key message. Do you think that middle class worker believes that today? I do not believe that he or she does, but I don't know what you can do to assure them. But I mean, I mean, there were other forces going on in Macomb. I mean, which is, by the way, you know, not only blue collar, but heavily unionized. I mean, yes. you know, uh, um, and, and I, you know, there, there are other issues out there and, and, uh, that had nothing to do with that. Um, and, and I think also, I mean, look, and this is not an excuse, but it is extraordinarily difficult for a political party to hold a presidency more than two terms. Uh, it is it extraordinarily difficult. Okay. I mean, George H.W. Bush was what, the, what, the lone exception for probably a century. Right. And he was uh, a one-term president. And he was a one-term president. Uh, so, so I think people sometimes just want change for the sake of change, which is not always a good way to feel, but I can understand it. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not taking any blame off my party for not doing more to do whatever it is they should be doing or for not having their messaging down as, as good as it could be. But I'm also, you know, you know, there are just historical patterns here, and I could be absolutely wrong, but I think they will continue, all right? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are David Knizek. He's a Democratic state senator from Dearborn Heights. Also, Maxine Berman, a former Democratic state rep. We are talking about the future of the Democratic Party. What direction should the party be looking at after the beating that it took in 2016, not just the presidency, but the losses in state legislatures, for instance, the losses of governorships. If you look across a decade or more, the kinds of shifts that we're seeing away from the Democratic Party, from traditional Democratic constituencies, working class voters, for instance, in places like Macomb County, saying that the Democratic Party does not 
uh, pursue the things that they want done. What do you think about that? What do you think about what the Democratic Party should be doing uh, after losing to Donald Trump in 2016 and losing power in all uh, branches of the national government? What's the what's the path forward? Uh, if you have ideas, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We will work your comments into the conversation. Helen in Detroit, you're first. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Hi, Helen. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Listen, what was exciting about this last election? What was really exciting? It was exciting to watch Bernie Sanders. And it was exciting because he he had the message that young people, who they voted for him, young people wanted. Why don't we start thinking not like old people, like Democrats usually think, and I'm 73, so I'm putting myself right there, but Bernie Sanders had a message, and he had a he had a plan, and people really responded to that. And it, you know, who knows where it might have ended had not these things happened in between, like the DNC being hacked and and all that crap. He might be our president. It was, I really believe it might have been that close. Yeah. But um, you know, he didn't, and that's you know that's it. That's cool. But um, I think. You know, we can talk about young voters, moving people to the right, moving people to the left, but it's that's not exciting. What he said was exciting. Yeah, and, uh, uh, th- that, that excitement, I mean, the enthusiasm gap is one of the things that I think, Helen, uh, absolutely helps explain what happened in in 2016 in the presidential contest that that the the people who were in favor of Donald Trump were more motivated they were more excited about his candidacy than the people who favored Hillary Clinton uh, and and that's that's why we ended up with the results that we did at the same time uh, I'm not sure that that explains what we've seen down ticket. I'm not sure that explains what we're seeing in state legislatures, in congressional races, in governorships. I think there is something maybe a little more fundamental going going on there. I'll give you guys a chance to react to what Helen said. Well, as far as your last comment, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you, you can't ignore the issue of reapportionment. Uh, okay. Redistricting, no question. At the congressional and legislative, you cannot level. ignore that. All right, uh, and uh, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't disagree with Helen. Um, I, I do think uh, that there's always uh, some excitement when somebody new runs, although interestingly, not somebody young. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders does not fit the Howard Dean under fifty person, uh, but that doesn't matter. Uh, he did excite a lot of people, and. Uh, uh, you know, I I uh, I don't know that he could have won the prime. I don't I don't know if he could have won the general election had he won the primary. Um, I will I will also tell you I did hear I think uh, an implication, but I may be wrong, uh, that the Democratic National Committee had something to do with him not winning. When in fact they don't have any power at all. People really don't have party <laughs> structures. You know, state Michigan Democratic Party, the, the, the Democratic National Committee, and the Republican side as well. I mean, they don't really have any power. Uh, they they don't do those things. They don't run elections. You know, uh, state parties sometimes run caucuses, but uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think that enthusiasm gap is enormous, but again, it does not talk uh, speak to uh, state legislatures, where you have the people running in very small comparatively districts, sure, and who are, don't get national press. 
or even statewide press, to be honest with you, unless they do something horrible. Right, you know? <laughs> right. right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number, 313-577-1019. Let's go to Jason in Dearborn. Jason, welcome to Detroit today. Hello, and thank hey. you for taking my call, and sure. thank you to all the panelists today. It's a great discussion. It's an important discussion. Um, I believe we're at a crisis point in American democracy, not only because of who occupies the White House, but I really believe because of some of the strategic and conscious decisions that the Democratic Party has made over the last 20 years to put us in this position where we could um, be uh, subject to the tyranny of somebody from the right, like Donald Trump, from uh, overwhelming Republican majority in both houses. I think this is directly attributable to the Democratic Party and their abandonment of their traditional role as a counterbalance to concentrated wealth and power. Now, this is a decision that has been made in the Democratic uh, hierarchy for the last 20 years to walk away from these breadbasket issues, to walk away from, you know, union issues, to walk away from middle class and working class issues and focus more on social issues. And I think they have put this country in a very vulnerable position. This country does not need a centrist party on economic matters. This country needs a party that is going to fight unapologetically and without question for the rights and the, and the legal protections and everything that a, a government of the people can do for the people of this nation. And the Democrats have been playing this, this kind of have-it-both-ways for the last 20 years where they want to go to the heartland and, you know, get everybody fired up, but then they want to go to Wall Street and, uh, you know, assure them yeah. that everything Jason, okay. Jason, that's a point I hear an awful lot in criticism of, of the party. Thanks for, for calling and adding that to the conversation. David Knizek, uh, how do you answer that? Yeah, no, I, I think that Jason makes some great points. You know, the, the other thing, you know, kind of piggybacking on what Maxine said earlier, you know, you look at what Bernie Sanders was saying, you look at what Donald Trump was saying. In my experience, I think that, they were talking to a lot of the same people. And so again, making sure that the message is on point, talking about the fact that you know we could want all of these, these things for folks in the world, but if the system itself is still structured in a way that systematically benefits those at the top, as opposed to those who, like the rest of us, uh, occupy that middle space, uh, we're not gonna see much change. You know, we, we need to continue to aggressively go after that political structure. I think that Bernie Sanders was effectively uh, articulating that through his time, and we know that President Trump was articulating that same message. You know, to, to also follow up on what Jason said, uh, you know, this this notion that we need to again run to the middle, uh, look to build coalitions, and, and dispel the the progressive side. Again, I think that is a a, a false narrative. That's not a, a premise that I would accept to begin with. You know, I think our problem as Democrats is when we get the gavel, this is just my opinion, we're not as bold as some of these Republicans are. We don't come out swinging like some of my, my Republican colleagues do. And so when we get back to being the party of big ideas, of bold ideas, when you talk about Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, I mean, these are all things that Democrats championed. And these are things that today Democrats and Republicans wouldn't touch uh, if, if they had any political savvy about them. So again, I think it, it is we need to keep talking to that base and fire up that base. If we start running after people who we're never going to get to support us anyway, well, then we're just ignoring that base and giving them no reason to come out and support yeah. our party or our platform. We need to be big again. We need to be bold, and we need to keep pushing those progressive values, yeah. I think. Let's take one more call here. Norris in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. 
Norris. Hey, hello. How's yeah. it going? Good. How are you? Um, excellent. Uh, great conversation this morning. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to comment and say, uh, as a millennial, I do feel that, in a way, the Democratic Party has taken sort of the young and the minority vote, in a way, for granted. Uh, we saw what Bernie Sanders did this past cycle, and uh, it felt like the Democratic Party basically just queen-made Hillary, Hillary Clinton and had pretty much no desire to really listen to the rabble or, or listen to the, 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 the ills of this entire generation, which we now see is going to be the largest voting generation in, the, in 2020. So that's issue number one. But moving forward, I think the only way the Democratic Party is indeed going to survive is if they do sort of uh, modify this kind of let's meet and make coalitions. I, I, I know one of your guests on the show said that he believes that's a false narrative, but the optics and what people are, are feeling is that the Democrats do have an over-willingness to sort of reach this compromise where we see the GOP completely unapologetic about their stance, unapologetic about their agendas, yeah. and they get it done. And so you want to see, see the Democrats uh, behave a little more like that is what you're saying, Norris. Right? Yeah, and it, it not, it, not necessarily all the way because, again, there's a certain level of disrespect that goes along with that uh, that ideology. But at the same time, the aggressiveness for which they push through some, some yeah. legislation and the uh, willingness for them to support each other no matter what, uh, I feel has been an advantage for yeah, them. In, that's in a, that's a great point, Norris. Thanks very much for calling and, and, and making that point. Uh, two things to discuss here. One, this idea that uh, that historic Democratic constituencies are being taken for granted, young people, uh, ethnic minorities. Uh, I, I think that sort of dovetails also with the, the demographic shift that we are seeing in the country in terms of who votes and who votes where. I mean, one of the things that led... Uh, to Donald Trump being the president, and indeed, is the fact that uh, the states like Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania losing population, states out west are gaining population, uh, and so the you know uh, the the electoral map looks different than it did. The only way that he's able to win the the presidency, in fact, is because of the the lagging, I guess, uh, nature of the electoral college. He w loses the popular vote, but wins enough states to get the uh, to get the the electoral vote uh, done. What's the what's the what's the answer to that for Democrats who, again, rely on these constituencies, these young and marginalized constituencies, to win? Well, Make more babies? I don't. I don't know. You know. I mean, <laughs> you know. When I started out in the Democratic Party in in the seventies, there were nineteen congressional districts in Michigan, and right. now there are what fourteen? Fourteen. We're yes. about to lose another, and we're going to lose and, another. Okay. In so you can see. And by the way, it's not always a loss of population; it's a gain elsewhere. Elsewhere. Okay. Sure. So it's not always that we lose; it's somebody else gains more. But uh, you know, I I think that that uh, uh, you know. I don't think, well, I'm only speaking, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but I, I know plenty of people in this party, uh, you know, that, that we don't take young people for, for granted and we don't take people of color for granted. Uh, and there is, this country is changing in terms of its demographics. Uh, you know, the Hispanic vote in particular is, is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and the millennial vote, of course, is, as he said, uh, is going to be quite, quite large in 2020, although that might be eligible voters. I may not be registered voters or people who really vote. And I'm saying that as a member of the baby boom and we are big and we do vote. Um, and, uh, uh, and, I, and I will tell you one other thing in terms of the presidency. I think one thing we do a really lousy job of uh, is to, uh, reminding people about the court. Uh, you know, Supreme Court, uh, for, especially for millennials who said I'm not voting and I don't like either of them and whatever, uh, the Supreme Court may be lost for the next 30 or 40 years. I'm not going to live that long. <laughs> but, but the millennials and their children We don't know that you're well. not going to live that long. <laughs> well, I would be, I don't even know if I want to live that long. <laughs> but, but the millennials and their children will be. And, yeah. and that was, you know, it's something that's almost never brought up, but it might be the most important thing in a presidential election. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we would love to continue this conversation. We'll have you guys back, I'm sure, at some point to do that. Right now we do need to end. But I want to thank uh, David Knizek and Maxine Berman for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Up next, we're going to talk with NPR's Melissa Block about her series about different places in America. What makes them distinct? What ties them together? She is here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.